Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. Today I'm talking to Jacob Greenfeld. Now I've been reading Jacob's blog posts for years now and they're as spicy as they are thoughtful. There's not a single post on there that feels unfinished and that's quite impressive. Well, I think we'll figure out why during our conversation and we'll also chat about how to unlock critical thinking by writing and what it means to give yourself permission to do things your way. Here's Jacob Greenfeld. You wrote an article on your blog called The Mirror. And the mirror is about if you want to be liked, you have to like people. And if you want to be interesting or if you want to be other people to be interested in you, you have to be interesting. And it's, it's kind of a, about reflection, about projection and about how people perceive you and how you want to be perceived. Now, the topic that you wrote about is to me feels like a very personal one because to come to the conclusion that, you know, you have to be good to have good people around you. This has to come from somewhere. Can you tell me more about this, like where this article came from? Because I found it very intriguing. Yeah, I guess it's one of these ideas that, I mean, appear in many books. I think it's it's a, a very common idea in the personal development space. But at the same time, it's it, it took, at least took me a long while to to fully grasp it. And I mean, it it appears in um, how to make uh, how to what is it called um, the famous one how to make friends and influence people, right? Um, it's it's one of like the core ideas in the book, and I read it as years ago, but still, just very recently, um, it felt like I connected all the different puzzle pieces and started to understand it. Like, yeah, sure, it it is super important in these um, personal relationships kind of things, but it's also super important um, in business and everywhere else. And yes, obviously it's coming from um, from a very personal point of view, um, because this is what I'm always trying to do, right? Trying to write about my personal experience, not trying to <laughs> come up with um, fancy stuff instead. And um, I mean, um, I, I think I gave lots of um, examples from my, from my personal experience in the post and um, one very specific example is that I still have a very hard time spending money. <laughs> Maybe that's because I'm German, right? <laughs> well, I, I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, um, so, and what that implies and, or at least for me, I, I feel this is true, um, is that when you when you're not comfortable spending money it's harder also to charge money for the same kind of thing right if you never paid i don't know a lot for a course or a, a call right for some um just to get someone's advice or um for for a newsletter ad whatever right it, it feels weird to start charging a lot of money um for for the same kind of thing yourself and it's it's definitely one of these things I identified um yeah one of these um bottlenecks really I had and that was holding me back very uh, yeah quite badly I think because I mean yeah definitely had always had a hard time judging more than a few bucks for anything I created and I think it's directly correlated to my problem spending money myself and I've I've, I've definitely worked on it and it's definitely getting better now so I'm very happy how that experiment went, but it, I mean, it also appears in other areas. Um, totally true. Um, 
I mean, um, in, in, in personal relationships is 100% true. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's very hard to describe and grasp un unless you really make a conscious effort to try it. And of course, lots of people, um, like have this natural ability already, are already doing it. And, uh, maybe they learned it from their parents, whatever, but other people like me didn't, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very skeptical by nature, um, as you might know from reading my stuff, right? I'm, uh, I was kind of famous for, um, in school for, um, yeah, calling everything bullshit, like my first reaction, <laughs> uh -huh. like, like this is bullshit is the default mode. And afterwards we can talk about, figure out why it might not be bullshit. Right. And, um, I, again, I, I've, I've, I've worked on that and it's getting better now to, <laughs> to um, start from like a healthier place in terms of, um, looking at both sides before making these kind of judgments mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, also, I mean, trusting other people, um, likability is a big issue, mm -hmm. um, big topic in itself, obviously. And if you, if you have problems like, like, um, finding other people interesting, liking them, then yeah, other people probably won't like you either. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, it's, it, it, it sounds kind of, um, yeah, esoteric, whatever, but it's, it's 100% uh, true in my personal experience. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm curious. Have you made similar, similar experiences? Yeah. In, in particular with the, the being German and, and dropping all the, the kind of Germanist stuff that we've been taught as kids, right? Like I'm, I was raised in, in East Germany. So my, my family was very, yeah, I would call it secretive. Like they were trying to like keep to themselves, like don't tell anybody about your success. They will take it away from you. Because I guess that was the, the status quo back then, right? If you were too far away from the average, you were a problem for the East German socialist kind of state. So there was a lot of that notion that was instilled in me, which kept me from reaching out to people, like going for opportunities, like trying to do things because I was like, uh, maybe this is where I overreach, where I give them too much, right? Where I share too much. And, and I think you, you know the kind of feeling. It's this kind of skepticism that just permeates every single thought you have, which is, I, I was probably quite similar to you in school. Fortunately, um, I, I got out of this pretty quickly when I actually experienced uh, the community that we are both in now, like the indie hackers, even just the programmer, the, the IT community all over the world, where people were freely giving information to each other and not really predatory in many ways, right? Like you, you would think that if people share building in public, that's the example, right? People share their journey and there may be clones, there may be copies of stuff and that always happens, but it's, it's not really that dangerous for most people who are sharing their journey because in some capacity, of course it attracts attention, but it probably attracts more good attention than it attracts bad attention. And I learned that at, at some point, but yes, I know the feeling. And what I also know and that's the, that's one thing that I kind of wanted to ask you in writing about this, like in writing the mirror or in, in writing your many other very interesting, like looking at a certain thing from many different perspectives, articles that are on your blog. Did, did that help you? Did the process of just writing about it help you come to terms with these problems, with the having additional perspectives? Because for me, when I write, I I start seeing things around it that I may not have thought about before. Is it the same for you? Is that how you write and maybe even why you write? A hundred percent. Yeah. Writing is, and yeah, only like, it's the only reason why I write uh, because, you know, I don't sell any, I don't monetize my writing. 
Um, if you look at my site, I don't have ads. I don't sell anything really um, there. So I really um, write for myself primarily. And um, it's really just to figure things out and uh, get get more clarity on certain topics. And yeah, I mean, there are these um, two writing modes, right? Where you either write because you have something to say or, or want to figure something out, or you uh, write because you want to write. And being in the second mode is very hard. I mean, if you ever tried, and again, something we all experienced in school, if you get this assignment and now you have to write about something and this is super hard and I'm really bad at that. Um, but if you just write for yourself, if I'm just sitting down and I have like just a very rough feeling usually, um, that there might be something there. Right. And, um, it's, it's really just that usually I don't have like any notes or, um, anything and I just start writing. And, um, usually I'm surprised where I end up with, but it's, it's always worth it, right? And even if I don't end up publishing because I feel like this is probably not interesting for anyone or it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but um, at least I now know that it doesn't make sense and there is nothing there. That's and this also helps, right? That's a great that's a great approach. Like like writing to see where it takes you and only then making a judgment about if it was worth writing about or not. Because too many people stop themselves from even writing, right? That's that's like the kind of the fear of the empty page where people don't know what to write about, so they don't write at all. And I think um, one of the, the concepts that I learned pretty early um, as a writer was to just start writing anything. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't even have to be co coherent. It can just be like random words on a line just to get it going, right? To, to get started. I, I like it. I, I really appreciate it. Because one other thing that I found in your writing that, that is, to me, was both hilarious to read and very true, because I'm kind of part of it, was what you call the, the creative's world bullshit industrial complex, right? This this concept of people saying something, then somebody, well, just explain it. Like Maybe you can explain it better than I can. What What is it and why is it a problem? Yeah, I mean, there is a very popular idea that gets repeated over and over again. And that is like, it's super important to build an audience, right? And um, yeah, as, as usual, I'm, I'm, I was very skeptical <laughs> of the idea, <laughs> but I also tried buying into that idea, to be honest, right? Because um, when I started my journey, um, I had this ho little homework assignment for myself, right? So really um, publish a tweet every day. And um, it was really in the spirit because I, um, looked at what other people did and this is something you see, right? And obviously there is a reason why this is the only thing you see, because you only see people publishing <laughs> content online. So still, um, yeah. And I think there, there is, um, like there is a, there's this hierarchy or whatever you want to call it, where. Of course, there are people having original ideas, doing re deep research and whatever, sharing earned in earned insights through years of experience. And then you have like this second layer of people just um, reading their stuff and summarizing it. And then it goes deeper and deeper where people summarize the summaries, right? And um, it, it gets kind of ridiculous, but um, it it's surprisingly common right if you <laughs> if you visit medium.com or twitter um that people publish just for the sake of publishing right not because they have something to say but simply because they decided or they feel like they have to build an audience and they don't really have a good reason for doing that besides that 
they were told it's something important that they got to do it. And I mean, <laughs> my, 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 the post when I wrote it was, is quite, um, oh no, I think it's quite balanced, but the headline is, um, is, is, uh, is pretty strong, right? In my judgment, um, it says, um, don't build a, um, audience, build a business or something like that. Right. Um, but I mean, of course there are people that make good money, um, from building an audience and then selling to that audience It's the whole influencer playbook. And it also exists in other niches and there are people using like, um, the influ uh, the influence, their audience very effectively. So it definitely can work, but it's, um, it's for most people, not the right approach. I think, um, if their goal is really just to be an entrepreneur, right, build a profitable business. Um, so, um, I think definitely it's better to focus on actually doing interesting stuff and then write about it and share your story, your journey, your earned insights, um, instead of just reading and then summarizing that or summarizing stuff, someone else <laughs> already summarized, right. And just, um, yeah, repeating the same phrases and cookie cutter, uh, cookie, um, fortune cookie, um, phrases over and over again. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what Twitter is uh, unfortunately full of at this point is people like summarizing other people's summaries. I, I love that. The description that you have in, in your blog post is like, yeah, somebody then has a summary of the summary and somebody tweets like a thread of it. And then that guy gets invited on a podcast to summarize that thread. Like it, it just is this endless recursive, um, it's not even densification. That's probably super lossy too, right? You, the, the further you step down this kind of ladder of information repetition, the more shallow it gets. And you end up with these, these uh, fortune cookie kind of sentences where somebody actually had something meaningful to say in the beginning, right? If you read a book, and that's kind of the thing with Blinkist, this app that allows you to get like a 15-minute summary of a book. It, I use the app only to to really figure out, do I want to read this book or not? Is it interesting what the topics are? But believing that you now know what the book said by having heard somebody tell you 15 minutes of like a summary of the contents, like that's kind of how they sell it, right? You read the book in 15 minutes. That's what the, the Blinkist app is trying to sell, at least, you know, in, in some capacity. Obviously, they know it's not the same, but... I feel that is a very reductive approach to to information, like to, to knowledge, to knowledge transfer all, all by itself, right? Like if you only look at the surface and then condense it and then somebody else looks at that, condense it even further, that's just frightening. But that's what most of Twitter is at this point, like these gigantic threads. I have spent 100 hours doing X so you don't have to. And then you have like 20 tweets of essentially recycled information that somebody else has provided. I don't buy into this. I don't use it. And I hate reading it. Uh, lots of successful audience builders use it. As you said, like some people use this pretty, pretty effectively to build a bigger audience. Question is why, for what purpose, right? But, you know, it, it is a, it is, that's the thing. I, I, when I read it, when I first read your article, I was thinking, hmm, that is true. It's super annoying. But in some, in some way, it is just how ideas spread. Right? It's kind of the, the mimetic potential of ideas. If, if people repeat it a lot, if people put it into different shapes, that's how ideas propagate throughout society. That's one side. And on the other side, you say it's also potentially just procrastination for an entrepreneur, for a founder using it. 
right? Because it's just, oh yeah, if I write these cool threads, totally going to build an audience, but you don't work on your business. You don't build relationships. You just write stuff that nobody really needs to know, right? Where's the balance right, between these two things? It's already hard um, that th the whole concept of it is reductive, but then you're somewhere between uh, mimetic propagation, which is good, and total procrastination, and none of it is really helping your business. What do you think is a way out of there? Like for a creator who wants to build a business that has an audience as, as a side effect, like how, how can you approach communicating with people in a more meaningful way? Yeah, I think the most important thing, and this is something like I love how, how I approach um, content creation, is to only write when you have something to say, right? To only yeah produce content when you have actually something to say and i mean this is this goes against like again the <laughs> common wisdom like um consistency is so important yada 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 but um at the same time um i personally prefer reading like blog posts whatever from people who don't publish every week right but rather publish um something every every year or a month right and um, for example, when I'm looking at books to read, I think it's an, actually an anti-signal if someone has published a lot of books, right? This usually tells me this person is just writing for the, writing for the sake of writing because no one has that many good ideas. And I mean, I, I come from, from a physics background, right? And um, at, uh, I was at a summer school and when I was um, just starting my PhD and there was actually a a Nobel Prize winner at at the dinner, and he was he was talking about like you have something similar going on in um, in the whole academic world where people have to publish for the sake of publishing, right? Um, it's publish or perish. And he said like, and I mean obviously uh, having having um, a Nobel Prize, um, you, you, he 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 he's he's allowed to say these kind of things or they are credible. So he said, maybe he has a good idea, maybe every three years, right? But you can't survive in the academic world um, by publishing a paper every three years or something. So people are just churning out papers for the sake of churning out um, papers. And there is, if you if you go to archive, right, where people publish or upload um, their preprints, um, it's just noise. It's like 99.9% is just noise. And it's it's very frustrating to see, but uh, it's yeah totally the same thing going on um, in like uh, yeah probably any publishing industry. <laughs> yeah, why why do you think that is? Like, what what's the the mechanism that forces people to do this? Yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, in the academic world, it's pretty easy to understand um, because um, there are clear rules. And you, there are, it's, it's a very zero-sum game in a sense because there are, there's only a very limited number of positions, right? Permanent positions where you can, where you become a professor and can actually carry out research freely, whatever. So, and to, to get one of these positions, you have to publish a lot and get citations. So you have like these metrics um, that, yeah, this is like all people really care about. And it leads to all kinds of ridiculous phenomena. And I mean, th this is just one of them that people just uh, churn out paper for the sake of 
churning out papers without having really discovered anything. And, um, but it's what you have to do if you want to, um, make a career in academia. And on the other hand, it's also why there hasn't been much progress in most scientific fields in the last 50, whatever years. And I mean, um, the system has been similar for a long time, but, um, there were not as many people trying to get the same number of positions, right? So, um, it, it's become a lot more competitive and now people are really optimizing for, yeah, for these metrics. And, um, I mean, if you, if you go back in time and I mean, Einstein also wasn't able, for example, to play the game by the rules, right? Um, because, um, he tried to do like the right thing, which is, um, sitting back, actually thinking, and then writing once he actually discovers something, but he wasn't able to do this in the um, context of the academic world. He had to get a job outside, outside of it. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's hundred percent true that, um, you can't carry out real research in academia because no one has time to think. No one, no one is able to think it's, it's really ridiculous. And I, I mean, I know it for sure, like in physics, there hasn't been any progress in the last 50 years in theoretical physics, zero. Right. And you would imagine that people now say, okay, stop. <laughs> well, we got to do something different here. Right. Why is there no new Einstein? What's going on there? There are more people interested in physics than ever before and more people studying physics than ever before, but less insight, like more papers uh, published than ever before, but less insights. Right, <laughs> get 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 generated. So it's it's just like the how the how the whole funding game is set up. It's um, it it's unfixable unless you <laughs> you you burn it down completely. I would say. And I mean, um, there are obviously ideas, but um, usually no no intention from anyone to do something about it. And I guess it's um, it's similar if you now look at if we go back to Twitter, right? Um, people are optimizing for these for these metrics, um, for getting likes, getting followers, and you can get blinded by, um, if you just focus on metrics very easily. And I mean, the truth is also that like a follower is not a follower, right? It's not all followers are worth <laughs> like, um, equal, uh, equally. Um, and I think it's one of the examples I have actually in my blog post, right? If, if, if you have a thousand followers and it's just anon accounts, whatever. And I have just 10 followers, but it's Elon Musk and Paul Graham, whatever. Would you, would you trade accounts with, with me? And of course, right. And this, this is true at all levels. I know people with actually hundreds of thousands of followers, um, that make surprisingly little money, let's say like they, they try to, uh, monetize their audience and they, like they, they, they went through a long phase where they were just optimizing these metrics, really grinding hard, posting these threads, these generic threads, because they were working, they're getting likes, retweets and followers, but, um, they were, they felt like where they were sitting on like this gigantic, um, potential energy. But when they actually tried to do something with it, they quickly found out there's nothing there. Um, because people actually don't care about like them or what they do. They, it. Like these generic insights, you can get them anywhere. And so getting like buying a product or something this person recommends is actually not worth a lot. So they have a hard time, um, monetizing like the influence <laughs> they, 
they build, right? And yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think I have another uh, post which is called um, metrics, how metrics led us astray, right? Which is about <laughs> this this topic. And um, it, it, it's also, I mean, also true at like company levels. If you look at whatever Google and Amazon, uh, why products de deteriorate in quality over time and stuff. Yeah, I I feel I feel the same way. Like particularly on Twitter, it's very noticeable. It's also noticeable how the change of the algorithm has impacted the behavior of people, right? But like a couple months ago, maybe beginning of of twenty twenty two, people were seeing pretty solid engagement just by being a normal person talking about normal things on Twitter. And then all of a sudden, there was a change in the algorithm, and people who do not buy into this whole make threats all the time like hyper engagement centric um content style like really formulaic really structurally identical to each other stuff i don't do this and i saw a significant drop in my engagement like whenever i post something maybe a couple hundred maybe a couple thousand people see it and that is at eighty-five thousand followers at this point which is really unfortunate because particularly as i'm sharing just building public stuff like what I'm doing, I would like my audience, the people that follow me because they're interested in this, to see it, right? I don't want to have to dress it up as a 10 learnings about what I did yesterday night thread so that it can then be viral for no reason. It just feels like the algorithmic um, orientation at this has to be potentially super viral or we won't show it to anybody. That really does damage to the quality of the conversation on Twitter. It's, it's yeah. very frustrating. I, I I totally agree, and I think there's there's also something um, something else important going on, and um, I think the situation on Twitter now is like the same that it was on Google ten years ago, and you know I think it was like ten or maybe a bit more a, a few more years ago where people started. I mean, people were always trying to hack the Google algorithm, like search engine optimization, whatever, but. Um, roughly 10 years ago, people went really hardcore with these private block networks. I don't know if you're familiar with the idea, right? People were spinning up like a dozens, hundreds of sites that were just linking to each other. And because this is a strong signal for, for Google-like backlinks, and then you couldn't point them anywhere and boost your rankings that way. And it was working spectacularly well for people. And they, it, it were like all these shitty sites, which were like fake reviews of products and having an affiliate link to Amazon, they were making thousands. They were making so many, so much money. And then um, obviously people also started renting out these links and selling back links. And it, it, it's probably still working. Um, and uh, the quality of, um, of the Google results was never the same. And the same is happening on Twitter in the sense that people um, are now buying retweets um, quite a lot. I've been and, asked, like people ask me in DMs all the time, like what my going prices for a retweet is that, like, that's an Insta block for me, but exactly. And this is also one of the reasons why you see these generic um, tweets going viral all, all the time, because they actually, um, yeah, people build like private networks of accounts. Um, these are primarily these novelism and, you know, these very generic accounts that just um, fortune cookie uh, wisdom, like quotes, these kind of things. And you actually just need one, you, you just need to grow one of them, right? And then you can use it to grow the next and then you have five and then you have 20. And this is exactly the same 
like with a with with these pr private block networks on Google, right? It, it's happening on Twitter, and they're, they're, they do nothing against it currently. And obviously now you have like these people hardcore focused on gaming the algorithm and leveraging these kind of tools. And Twitter is not fighting back, um, or is not able to fight back. Similar to how Google had serious problems with these. Um, sometimes very smart private block networks, right? So you have like these private account networks and boosting these, gene these, these generic threads. And um, I mean, attention is a limited, uh, is a finite resource, right? So if people, if, if, yeah, people can only see so many tweets per day. And if a lot of their timeline is filled with these generic tweets, then it is what it is, right? <laughs> this, um, this is my little theory. <laughs> those those are the people you compete with. And I think that the way you talked about academia is the exact same thing. Like there's people out there who would oh, yeah. like to do the research, who would like to spend two years, but then there's like nine or, or 20 other people right next to them who have no problem just churning out papers, writing about like random bullshit theories just to get something out there, right? And those are the people you compete with, not the other people who would like to do actual research. And... Fun fact, there are also these private networks. It's oh, really? the exact, oh, like, citation rings, it's yeah. called. Oh, yeah. And and it, it works very simply, simple because, you know, a paper can have multiple authors. And if you look at um, papers, like, the author lists get longer and longer now. And, I mean, it's it, it simply, you, if you're friendly with someone, um, you, you just include him or her on your paper, and he will do the same. And you both have a paper more. Easy. Right, and this is how you both make a, can can make progress. And if you're not playing this game, you lose. Again, no chance. Absolutely no chance. There's such a inflationist approach. Right, it kind of feels like burning more oil or burning more coal. Like not like just there's infinite infinite life. There's infinite oil, infinite resources. From where we know, there's like a finite amount of like also in in terms of like global health, right? Like the health of the globe in in, in that respect. That is such a sad thing to hear, but it's also not surprising because where people see a way to optimize metrics, like you said, right? What gets measured gets optimized, and if we measure the wrong things, like follower counts or amount of citations. And then imp that impacts the actual career of a person instead of the quality of the research or the quality of the content that they share, we have a problem. Well, what's what's the antidote? Or if you are a founder right now and you you want to build a business, let, let's pull it back to this, right? It's like what what can you do in, instead of falling for these weird little uh, threat of the month kind of story? Because you know, sometimes it's fleets. Hope I'm glad that is gone. Like threads and it used to be um what was it no weird crypto uh, web3 nft uh, twitter spaces and all that stuff clubhouse you know these weird things i'm, I'm glad they're kind of like ebbing away but if, if you do you have an idea how you can build something meaningful and sustainable as an online presence as a creator as a founder without falling for this stuff like how, what would your approach be because you have thirteen thousand followers you must be doing something right yeah, I mean, um, I, it's it's something I'm still um, trying to figure out, to be honest. And I don't think I have lots of good answers. I've tried a lot of different things. And it's yeah, like a love-hate relationship with Twitter, definitely. And I definitely feel like the quality um, on my timeline 
has declined a lot, like the content I see, even so I have like, I don't have like the algorithmic timeline. I have like the, the um, chronological timeline, but it doesn't matter because if people are not getting reach with their, when they share earned insights, whatever they stop. Right. And I think this already has happened, um, to quite some extent, and it will be very hard to dial it back and to win people back. Um, who now simply stopped. And I mean, I, I feel the same thing like you and I haven't invested much in, uh, into Twitter lately, um, for that exact reason. Um, I mean, it, it's really true that two years ago you could really just, um, share like what you are doing, what you were thinking, what you learned, and it was fine. Right. And you got interesting feedback, comment, people started talking to you in the DMs, it was really cool, but I see less and less of this and, um, now we have like this feedback loop. Yeah, now I'm doing less of, <laughs> um, less publishing on Twitter. So it becomes even less. Um, so it's, it's very unfortunate and I, 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 I'm really not sure what the answer is right for, for me, but one thing that's definitely true um, is to focus um, more on my blog posts because I don't think they will go away. Um, in the, like, and, and also, I mean, the, the mo I've met the most interesting people through my blog posts and not, um, through Twitter. Um, like when I published something and, um, it got some attention, then I had oftentimes very interesting people reaching out to me, um, compared to a tweet or thread where this happens not so often. So I, I feel like, yeah, um, like the blog is a platform I fully control and I, I know exactly what I'm getting there. Of, of course, you still gotta, gotta work on getting attention in some way if this is your goal. But, um, if you're writing with, with, if you're coming from the place I'm coming from or having this frame, I'm just writing primarily for myself, then I'm sharing it. And if other people find it useful, that's nice too. I mean, it's, it's okay, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've really tried uh, funny things like, um, there is mail brew, right? I've, I've written something similar for myself, um, just to get, to, to make a list of 100 people I actually care about, um, what they put out and then just getting an email with what they published. Um, and I, I think that's actually a good approach, um, to be good because yeah, you. You get a lot of junk, a lot of noise currently in your timeline, even if it's in chronological order. Um, but no, what, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm doing what you're doing. I, I feel um, your approach, like both with earned insights, like only talking about stuff you actually have any kind of idea about, like talking about the things you did before and how that worked for you. I think that's kind of what I've been trying to do. That's what, I, what my writing is about. Like, I don't talk about things that I've never done, or at least I... I hope to avoid that. Like sometimes, you know, you explore, but in in exploring things, and I, I really like um, that particular approach of yours too, and I've been doing this for, yeah, the last couple of years. In exploring things, in doing things, you come up with experiences that it's worth talking about, right? And I feel... There's a, again, there's a blog post on your blog. I guess we've been quoting a couple here about writing a book and why everybody should do it, right? Your... your, your your approach to writing a book is not that you want to have a book. You want to have the experiences that enable you to write a book. 
And this is a great opportunity to talk about the sponsor of this show today. MicroAcquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace, and it's simply the most efficient way to sell your startup when you're ready to make your next move. Typically, as a first-time founder, you really have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you go through an acquisition. And MicroAcquire wants to change that for you and empower you when you're speaking with buyers and then really help you streamline this whole process of getting acquired for the maximum price without any of the headaches that come with having to go through this alone. You don't need to go alone. MicroAcquire can help. And they have helped thousands of startups successfully get acquired at this point, and they have facilitated hundreds of millions in close deal volume. So if you're thinking about selling your startup, you might want to check out MicroAcquire. Go to microacquire.com to learn more. That's what that sounds like to me. Like, um, can you talk to me about permissionless play, where it is, how it's going, how your whole approach to this is working for you, and uh, how, how that also back to like talking to people in social media, how that kind of inter how interacting with the community happens to impact or not impact that particular approach? Yeah, I mean there. Are there are two questions here, I think, right? The first is about the, about the book um, project. And I, like the idea was actually sparked by something I read by Russell Bronson. Um, he mentioned that um, like he, he got super excited about writing his first book. Um, he actually hired someone to edit it for him. He bought the domain and like did everything. And then it took him five years or something to actually write it. And, and not because he was procrastinating, but because he was missing actually the, um, enough, have, like enough earned insights to, to fill the pages. Right. And at the same time, um, like having a book project is super valuable because it gives you a frame, um, to that, that allows you to look at things differently. Right. And, um, it's, it's one of these things, right. If you're launching something, if you're doing different experiments, it's a very healthy mindset that sometimes you win and sometimes you learn, right? But, um, but with a book, it's, it becomes even better, right? It's sometimes you win and sometimes you get something interesting to write about. And <laughs> it's, um, I think it's, it, it, this is one part. And the second part is also, um, yeah, when you're making you're making uh, really decisions from this point of view. Hey, this actually could be an interesting, um, this could become an interesting story, right? And this um, makes things more playful, but also helps you keep focus and um, yeah, helps you like figure out. I think like um, what you what you want to do um, in a sense that would the author of this book, right, that I'm going to write would. Would, would he do it? Would he be afraid of doing that? Right. And, um, kind of having the mindset, I'm already the guy like the, whatever your, your, your phrase is, your little, um, your little phrase is. And it's for me, um, this idea of, um, acting without asking for permission, right. Play permissionless. And it's, it's just one pattern I noticed, um, that when I looked at what I did, um, in recent years and how, how things turned out and, um, that I, I, I didn't do it consciously, but, <laughs> um, it, it, I, I definitely, um, did it a lot of times, um, where I simply 
did things and then rather right asking for permission um asking for forgiveness in a sense and one example is um hearing an idea on a podcast right and then like what most people do is that they then write an email hey i heard this idea you shared can i do xyz with that and Usually you won't get any reply, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but people are seeking for permission, permission and usually it's it, it never going anywhere. They lose momentum even if they get a reply and then do, don't do anything with it. So what I've done is just build the thing, right? Just just launch it, put it online and then um, tag the person. Hey, I, I heard your idea on this podcast. Here's what I did. And this was actually one of my, or actually the first project where I charge money for my first premium product, if you want, it was by an idea, sparked by an idea by Andrew Wilkinson that he talked about on the My First Million podcast. And it's, yeah, it's, it's good for multiple reasons, right? Because you have like this momentum and you just do it. And um, momentum is super important, right? If you have like this spark of inspiration, you got to act. Otherwise, <laughs> um, it's, it's just becoming harder and harder and you find reasons not to do it. Um, but also people are really, in my, in my experience, really appreciate it if you, when you do it, right? Um, if, if you actually, people like people who do stuff and not just talk about stuff. So when people see um, that you actually did something with their ideas, um, they appreciate it. And um, this is also how you get a, a foot in the door, right? It, this is a great way to connect with people. Um, like these, doing these permissionless creations um, and of, of in this example, Andrew Wilkinson actually like shared my project then, and this obviously helped a lot um, with um, where it was going. And um, this is just one example, um, but I mean another big one is permissionless learning, um, because I've yeah a lot of experience in academia, but also because after I um, left the system, I decided to design this learning experiment for myself, right? And I mean, there are things you can do. You can sign up for programs to learn entrepreneurship, whatever, right? But um, the, yeah, it, it's 100% true that you don't need anyone's permission to learn something seriously and deeply. But um, in many cases, like what a university or what a structured program really does is just give people permission to, to, to study something. And like the content and what you're really, everything else you're getting is usually not that good. You get, you can get it like for a lot cheaper and a lot better if you just do it yourself. Like your average professor is, is not a good teacher, right? <laughs> and um, like also these boot camps and whatever you have, you can save a lot of money just hiring someone who will help you one-on-one, -on -one, right? And <laughs> so it's, it's, um, like a permissionless learning experiment. And I, I mean, it's super hard, but I really wish more people would do it, um, especially when they are younger, instead of wasting so much time. Um, because, yeah, uh, like so much stuff you, you're forced to do at university is nonsense. Like all these homework problems you got to solve have zero, zero to do with what you're going to do in the real, real world. And, and, and this is true in physics, but also everywhere else. Like, it's, it's, it's almost a meme at this point, right? That people, yeah, don't use anything they learned at university, but, um, like you don't 
you don't learn how to carry out research through these homework problems, right? Not at all. You learn actually nothing useful and you're just wasting a lot of time and energy. And so, yeah, permissionless learning is a is another big one. I like that. I I really appreciate the the idea of allowing yourself and not, you know, having anybody else involved in that choice to go after something. And of course, there are certain things that talking to an expert or being taught by an expert is helpful, but it doesn't mean that that's the only way to learn. That's that's kind of what all learning, for me at least, is about. There are many ways to get where you want to go. And it starts with allowing yourself to not only see one option, but see multiple options. Right? You can learn coding from YouTube. You can actually learn coding from reading books, which is super weird because the format is so different, right? But there, there are video courses. There are podcasts about coding if you're really interested in that stuff. You can go to a school. I, when, I, when I went to um, high school as a kid, like ninth or 10th grade, there was a, a little four students of that age part of a university in Dresden in, in Germany who allowed kids to come in the in the afternoons to learn how to code. So it was kind of semi-academic, right? It was part of university, but for school children to learn how to write Turbo Pascal programs. That's really where my, my coding knowledge comes from. And that was an opportunity that was, that was given me to me through school through the educational system. I probably wouldn't have found it if, if it hadn't been introduced by my math teacher at the time. Wonderful. But then after I, I left school, I, I finished my, my high school diploma thingy and I went to university, most of the actual coding experience that I got there was not through the courses at the, at the university, computer science courses. It was through actually working for a web agency as an employee to building the PHP backend modules for some weird CMS at the time. That's where I learned how to code, which was the interesting part. The other computer science stuff was a bit too sciencey and not too computery enough for me at that point, right? It's just my 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 experience with academia is not by far not as far as yours. I do not have a degree. I dropped out twice. Big uh big uh yeah, not a not a big th- uh accolade, I guess, for myself, but certainly um, a learning opportunity because I, I understood this is not my kind of learning. I learn differently. And then fortunately, I allowed myself back at the time. I didn't understand it as permissionless uh, play or like the whole Jack Butcher permissionless apprenticeship methodology, right? Going to other people, learning from them w- without asking them really. Um, that I didn't know. The concept was alien to me, but I still did it. And I'm I'm glad I did because from all this autodidactic kind of stuff came then my capacity to think okay yeah this is something I can do I learn how to code I learn how to this how to do this how to do that I can also learn the other thing right just flipping that switch makes it easier to learn whatever you want uh, really cool and I love the idea that you are uh, that you kind of are writing a book about it but it's more an aspirational long term goal than like a discrete product you don't see it as oh yeah i'm gonna write a book at least that's how i feel so you can talk about it i'm not gonna i'm writing i'm writing a book eventually but i want it to be as good as possible so i don't have like this weird deadline that it has to be done in three months or that i already know what price is gonna have like that kind of stuff doesn't seem to be part of your your vision of the book or am i am i misunderstanding this or is it more like a long-term goal for you it's yeah super long-term i mean the truth is i could I could write this book in like two weeks um, because I 
no problem putting words on paper on the screen. I can write fast and I can write stuff that kind of makes sense very fast, but um, it wouldn't be very good. And this is not the goal, right? My goal is not to publish this book so I can sell it or become a speaker or whatever, whatever you want to do with your book. But the, the main thing or really the only thing that matters to me is having this book project as, as the frame to look at different things. And it's working all, is all I can say. Um, it's, it's really work and yeah, working and it's, it's also something I, I wrote about, right? Is that like, like what you, what you said, everyone should have a book project, right? Even if it might take you 10 years, but, um, I think this is yeah a very healthy thing to do again, coming back to the idea of writing for yourself it being therapeutic and, um, I, yeah, just, just work on it a little bit whenever I actually do one of these, um, experiments and learn something new and. I mean, yeah, I could do some research and summarize what other people did with where they um, achieved <laughs> something without asking for permission. Easy. It's not hard, right? I know how to use Google. I know how to write. Um, easy. But um, that's not the point. You're totally right, right? It's it's this long-term thing for me where, yeah, like this is where the, all the value comes from for me. Um I, I love the fact that your writing is primarily for yourself. That is that is so different than what most people consider writing to be. Right? Most people consider writing to be a sales tool or a product tool or an audience building tool or whatever kind of external tool it, you, you can imagine. But for you, I sense it as a reflection tool, a tool to self-reflect, a tool to unearth knowledge in yourself or to clarify. And you kind of call this a clarification uh, as a service that you, that you can also do, right? I saw that. So you, you make your own thoughts clearer, more precise and more actionable. And I really, really appreciate this as, a, as something that many people might not even consider writing to be capable of doing for them. It's kind of, yeah, right. do, do you journal? Like, do you use writing in other capacities than, than just like business thinky stuff? No, this, like the stuff I publish is my journal. Oh, okay. um, so, but I, I don't publish everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what's um, the ratio there? How much do you not publish? Maybe 70% or wow. 80%, something like that. But um, something very important, I think, um, again, um, also coming back to the whole permissionless idea, it's like permissionless publishing, right? And where a lot of people feel like they gotta go to uni or take this writing course, whatever, to learn how to write. But this is total nonsense, right? And also there are also all these rules people talk about. This is how you write. You write a crappy first draft, then you edit it and you edit again. And I am always thinking, oh my God, that sounds horrible. That sounds like so much work. And people say, yeah, it's so much work. It's painful. It has to be painful. But I think that's wrong. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not editing my stuff. I'm just writing, right? And um, like, <laughs> I, I, I really also like reading um, from people who do the same because every time you're editing your stuff, it gets more polished and like, the most interesting ideas are in these rough edges. And um, every time I'm reading through one of my posts, I'm getting a little bit more scared and 
like it, it, it's becoming more unlikely that I'm going to publish it. Right. So, um, this, this is why I, why I don't, um, try to edit as little as possible bes besides just, um, obvious grammar errors, um, with, with like automated uh, checkers and whatever, um, to have like this basis quality <laughs> secured. But beyond that, um, I think, yeah, just, just writing for yourself, but also understanding that it, that it doesn't have to be like hard work or whatever. Um, just, just, um, if you're doing it for yourself, this is kind of more obvious, but also if you want to put it, put it out there, um, there's no reason to, to spend hours, whatever, painfully editing it, having some complex process, hiring someone. Yeah. Um, that doesn't need I to speak. happen, right? No, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> I, I think like you, you said something earlier um, about the two modes of writing, right? One is writing because you want to, and the other one is writing because you have to. Even the second one could be yourself forcing yourself to write, but I I remember like back in school. Let's let's uh, keep piling on on the, the German educational system here for a second. Back in school, like we've been asked to write the weirdest things about books we didn't like, books we didn't care about, about topics that we had really no knowledge of, other than the couple of things that somebody told us in the one lesson. Like the 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 writing that I had to do as a kid or as a young adult was was all. Um, writing that I resisted, resisted doing. It was un, not enjoyable. It had to be polished because even if you if you had a great argument that you you kind of you really cared about, if it wasn't in the shape or form that your teacher wanted to see it, it was a fail. No matter how good your argument was, if there were too many typos in the argument, in, in, in the actual written version, or if you didn't use the right line spacing, hate that right you you got a fail grade on your paper and that's how most people were taught to write right it takes a long long time to unlearn that this is writing because it's not it's academic writing for people who don't care about your thoughts they only care about your capacity to regurgitate what they told you like that that stuff sorry for for yelling at you here but it frustrates me still to this day that this is how we introduce kids to writing yeah and it's 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 one hundred percent true. I mean, I was really bad in school in all these um writings writing subjects like English, whatever, German classes. I was really bad because you actually have to use like complex sentences and structures and stuff. And in the real world this is not appreciated at all. Right? Um it's again also in the academic world, there is you have to write in a certain style, right? And it has to be dry and boring whatever <laughs> and um it's it's even harder right if i, I was do double it double indoctrinated yeah yeah right um but Qu quite literally um, right it's, it's yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's important very important to, to to break out and um it's it's kind of funny because people the best writing advice is to write like you talk right and this should be the easiest thing in the world and you just have to learn how to remove these filters Right. This is this is it. Once 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 you learn how to remove these filters and actually just just put what you have in your mind onto the page without having these internal loops. Oh, how how am I gonna write this compared to um, how how is the how the thought is in my mind? Right. This is where all the complexity comes in, but it's actually not helping. That's that's the funny thing. You just have to right <laughs> learn how to remove these filters. Yeah, that that is such a 
such good advice. I've actually learned this over the years of writing my own things, like my own articles every week, my, my scripts for my podcast. This, and it brings me back to the thing that I, I said at the very like beginning of our conversation, where I talked about your article, The Mirror. Because what this really is that I found worked so well for me is almost quite literally self-reflection mirroring. I record myself as I write, and then I listen to what I say. Like to, I, I kind of read my own writing to myself, and if it sounds off, if it sounds too complicated or unconnected, disconnected, disjointed, I, I then I edit in that moment because I know nobody would say this. And things that nobody would say, nobody wants to hear or nobody wants to read. So the, it's, it's funny because that is to me mirroring, right? It's, it's, a, it's quite almost literally reflection because I hear myself say the things that I think. And if I write them down that particular way, then other people will hear them the same way and everybody's going to be happy. So I, I really appreciate you, um, you triggering these thoughts in my mind so I can express them to you. So we can reflect them between each other. Now, I, I'm really appreciative of the, the way you write and the way you approach business and, and knowledge and, and the, the communication uh, of that, of, of information. I would love to give people an opportunity to learn more about you and find your writing. So where should people go if they wanted to learn more about you? Yeah, my, my personal website is probably the best place. It's just my name, jacobgreenfold.com and also on Twitter. Um, if you want to see my tweets that don't get hidden <laughs> by the algorithm, yeah, it's also just my name, um, Jacob Greenfield. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, recommend that follow because you, you always have interesting stuff to say. And and I think you the way you write on your blog is um, a wonderful example for people who want to have a it's kind of a, a leave traces of the things that they care about because that's what i see when i see your blog it's the every single topic is something that you spend a lot of time thinking about and a lot of time reflecting through writing and as a result of that there's a good blog post out there so thank you so much jacob for being here today that was a wonderful conversation and i hope that we can defeat the twitter algorithm together and bring usable information back to people <laughs> I hope so, yeah. This was really fun. <laughs> Thanks. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Boots of Founder podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you'll find my book, Zero to Sold, The Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course, Find Your Following there as well. If you want to support this podcast and me, please go to ratethispodcast.com slash founder and leave a rating and a review. You can find the time. It would be an amazing, very helpful gesture. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.